Hello and welcome to Terrace Memoirs, Her Game 2 series, episode 6. Uh, I am Dave Harris, uh, Reading fan of 32 years, season ticket holder for 22, I think it is at the moment. Um, just a, a quick personal note before we get into the latest episode, uh, which was recorded on Wednesday. Um, stupid me, turned up totally unscripted and completely forgot to introduce myself. So uh, yeah, I have, uh, I've now done that. Um, and uh, yeah, you can now get on and enjoy the show with Valerie Clinch. Hello and welcome to Terrace Memoirs, episode six of the Her Game 2 series. And um, this week I'm delighted to be recording in person for the first time. Every single episode so far has been recorded over the medium of um, technology. Um, but uh, no, this week we are... Um, yeah, we are very much in person and um, in the confines of Shrivenham Football Club, my local non-league football club, um, who reside in the Hellenic League Premier Division. Um, and uh, my guest today is uh, Valerie Clinch, who is the secretary of um, Shrivenham Watchfield Royals, which is the youth section. I'm looking at Valerie now thinking, have I got that right? <laughs> You've kind of got that right. I am the admin person that does a lot of the uh, secretarial work. But um, initially, I was brought on board as the welfare officer okay. here when we first set up the Royals in 2001. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and since then, it's kind of developed into quite a few different roles, yeah. including coaching and, um, and yeah, youth development, basically bringing in kids to the, to the football club from schools, from the community. And, uh, yeah, it's, just, it's kind of like maybe three or four roles that all get kind of like um, brought into 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 the club, but it's a, a, a lot of the, a background stuff. You know, it's uh, I'm pretty much uh, on the face of it on the ground, as it were, mm. at training and um, at match days, supporting my sons and my grandson <laughs> these days. But um, yeah, it's it, there's a lot of admin stuff that goes along with it. Yes, I'm sure. Um, you know, this uh, episode, I'm hoping, will give a good insight in what it's like to actually um, to run um, or to to help run a, a non-league football club. Um, it's very quiet here today, and I can imagine it wasn't last night. Given um, <laughs> we are recording almost 24 hours, well, 24 hours after uh, England's epic victory against Germany, um, and uh, yeah, so. Um, I'm sure. Were you, were you here last night, Val? I was here last night. Yes. Yeah. Did yes. Uh, did many people have a few drinks? Oh, they had a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We even had a red flare let off at the um, at the point when England scored their first goal, and it was like may <laughs> it was like mayhem. It was um, yeah. It was definitely a, a moment in the game that everybody was kind of just on their edge of their seats for. Um, and then when the second one went in, it was like, oh, my that's God. the relief. Yes, yeah. the relief showing through. And <laughs> yeah, and I've uh, I've mentioned a few times um, on social media and a and football special, which is a um, a preview and review program that I did earlier today. I did say that um, uh, just watching those videos over and over again, the noise and the uh, the sheer pandemonium and um, the expectation of of England scoring and just just the limbs going all over the place and then the second goal you can hear the sheer relief yeah. particularly after what had happened a couple of minutes earlier with Thomas Muller going through on goal oh I know um, yeah but, uh, we, we're not going to condone um, pyrotechnics on this um, on this uh, <laughs> podcast but um, 
yeah, no pyro, no party. No. Um, so, but um, yeah, no, I sort of can imagine that the football club has taken a fair, a fair bit of money over the last few, um, last few, last few weeks with yeah. the Euros. Yeah, it's been it's been good because obviously we're coming to the end of what's been a hugely restricted eighteen months in the football community, um, and I think it was probably come just at the right time, really. Um, you know, we've been a, a quite quiet in terms of not being allowed to play football or if it has been allowed it's been interrupted two or three times mm -hmm. you know the the senior setup here has been um hugely impacted from the point of view of like do we play games do we not play games do we play games with spectators or be it maybe um just a, a reduced amount of people involved um the track and trace in you know, again, that's another add-on to the admin that we already do at the club, um, which kind of it had to be done to be safe, but also it, um, it again brings another side to how much organisation there is within just a small village football mm -hmm. club. Um, but yeah, so it's um, it's it, it's been it's been good, obviously. You know, uh, for adults and kids because you know we're all big kids at heart really so <laughs> you know so we, we all we've all kind of found that this um at this point of time when we're just literally on the edge of coming out of lockdown the the euros has given everybody a lift mm -hmm. really it's it's amazing how it's kind of just brought our focus away from what's been happening in the world and now it's just focused on you know are england actually going to get through to the next round mm -hmm. to the next round the quarterfinals to the semis are they actually going to make it all the way to the finals mm -hmm. you know, yeah no and certainly with with last night with the optimism um uh, that's going into the quarterfinals and and perhaps the semis um uh, i think it goes uh, without saying that england are the strongest team uh, in that side of the group obviously football isn't played um, on paper it's played on the pitch and it all depends on what happens in the next 90 minutes but hopefully well next yeah. 90 minutes and the 90 minutes after that but um Hopefully, yeah, uh, England will will prevail and um, and end up in the final. Um, well, they um, do say that you've got to play each game as it comes, and you don't take anything for granted. We've got, you know, we've we've um, succumbed to a defeat by lesser teams, so we can't take anything for granted. Mm -hmm. um, See Iceland. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. But talking about the going on to um, on to Shrivenham then. Um, yeah. I mean, the senior team clearly had a curtailed season. Um, I recall um, attending two or three games at the start of the season, mm. back in August and September time. Um, and um, so the last season was uh, was one of um, transition, really, wasn't it, with a new manager, yes. um, and uh, who I now understand has uh, has departed as well. So there's a new manager search on the on the go again, isn't there? There is. Um, so, but um, so. Uh, just, I mean, obviously, as I say, it was curtailed. There was no real league placings um, no. in the Hellenic League last year. Um, Hellenic League, Premier League, of course, is step six, I believe. Step five. five. Oh, oh, blimey. My apologies. I'm, 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 I'm putting you down a division. Um, yeah, so it's step five, um, so, uh, which is obviously five promotions from the, um, from the Football League. Um, and... Um, as I say, the uh, anything below the national league was uh, was curtailed last season, um, which obviously presented its own challenges. Yeah. Um, but they, it did, was it fair to say that they just started getting it together around the time that the season was 
was chopped. They had a tough start, didn't they? Yeah, they did. The thing is, with new, whenever you bring in a new manager, it, the the actual team always kind of ends up being chopped around a bit, and you know, new players brought in. Um, every manager has, you know, a set of players that they they like to um, have follow them to wherever they go. Um, and obviously, they've if a manager's been in a, a position where they've been at a few clubs, then obviously they can search around a little bit and. You know, players these days they don't stay still. They, you know, they they do search around and play at different clubs. You know, um, so we did have quite a few new players come into the club last year that Chris brought in, but um, not as many as we'd like mm -hmm. to have had. Um, obviously, we had a few um, stay at the club that were loyal to the club, and um, but we also had a few that, you know. Um, departed to the surrounding clubs like um, Highworth, um, Bassett. You know, like I say, they move around. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, Wharton Bassett FC. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's and that's the thing with um, with with, with non-league football at this level. Um, I mean, Shrivenham, as you say, is is a is a village club, mm. um, and there are plenty of other clubs who are in a similar position, um, dotted around around the local area. You mentioned Highworth Town, which is like three or four miles up the road. Yeah. Royal Wotton Bassett, the Wotton Bassett Football Club, they're they're what twenty minutes drive away. Mm. Um, Farringdon, um, our um, Farringdon Town, are um, again five or six miles up the road. There are so many clubs um, that are around, and of course, you've got other non-league clubs um, at higher levels. Um, like Swindon Supermarine, for example, who um, uh, within the last 10 or 15 years reached the FA Cup first round, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. It lost to Colchester, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, players who do well will always, you know, um, inevitably, as, as, as goes with, um, with much of the football territory, players will be, will be snapped up and, and play at a higher level. Yeah. Um, but it's got to be said, though, at this level, um, they don't get paid a lot, if anything at all. Um, and um, a lot of them play it just purely for the love of the game, don't they? Mm. More and more play it for the for the little um, wage packet at the end. I think <laughs> you'll find. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, a lot of a lot of them are actually just playing at this level to just try and stay playing, really. Um, but yeah, it's a fine balance between those players that obviously uh, are not involved in the playing budget and having a playing budget. To to actually um, give out to those players that are a little bit above the standard that you need um, to um, progress. And obviously we're, we're um, aiming to, well, not only just stay in the Hellenic lead since we've been up there, but also to progress to suddenly, yeah. you know, that is our ambition is to go when we feel we're ready, when we feel right, when we feel we, we've got the players that are of that standard and um and obviously the manager that we put in place will take us there yeah um, of course you had that um that uh, fantastic season you, I remember you got um promoted i think it was i've lived in shrivenham now for four years i think it was the first season that um that i was living here so 2018 i think you were promoted was it to um to the hellenic league premier division mm. Um, and again, it was a tough start, but then you went on a, a superb run. Mm. Of, I think it was like 16 wins in your last 18 games or something like that. Yeah. Um, and ended up finishing fourth, which, um, correct me if I'm wrong, was the highest the that the club had ever finished at. It would have been, yeah. 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 Um, so if you do end up promoted to suddenly um, Division 1, um, that's obviously one promotion away. And 
regardless of what happens, that will end up being the highest the club has ever finished, mm. uh, which is, you know, and it's a significant step for a, for a club this size, is it not? It is, yeah. And obviously this, to, there's also, I mean, the considerations of everything that the league have ha, uh, asks us to put in place. So although that we are playing at the standard we're playing, there's always considerations of what the league will throw at us yeah. um, in terms of our facility mm -hmm. uh, to go up a league. Um, yeah, because it, because with every uh, with every single step, there's a, a set um, sort of ground criteria, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, so a sort of certain number of uh, yeah. um, turnstiles, certain number of seats. Yeah. Um, the, the accommodation that you can offer um, to opposition teams and whatnot. But looking at the, um, you know, just looking at the ground now, I mean, we're sat outside here, just outside the clubhouse. Um, and, you know, the pitch has obviously had a, a lovely, um, a lovely rest, shall we say. And yes. it's looking really nice and luscious. And there was a significant amount of money that was spent on the pitch. I think, was it uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, to help with the drainage? Yeah. Um, it's um it i mean once the goals and nets are up uh, i dare say it's going to be it's going to be you know, lovely to um to come here and watch watch another game six pound um entry fee at mm -hmm. the moment there certainly was this season i don't know if there's any plan to put that up or to review that yeah, not that um, um but no it's everything's looking uh, looking spick and span mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah, hopefully Shrevenham can have a reasonably successful season at least consolidate mm -hmm. um with nice. the new manager in place and uh yeah, I think um, I think as it stands, it, I think I wouldn't be um, unreasonable to say that we've probably got the best playing surface in in the area. Mm -hmm. It's definitely been commented on since we've had the ground improvements. Yeah, um, and that wasn't uh, that wasn't a um, um, an insignificant sum of money that was spent on it, was it? Um, I remember I remember coming here for a uh, pre-season friendly two or three years ago um, with a friend of mine, Dick at Town. Um, and the opposite end of the pitch was uh, was weed strewn. It was it was bobbly. It was bumpy, and it needed some work done to it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's lush grass now, and it's really really nice playing surface. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'm sure. Um, well, any any all players would love to be would love to be playing on this. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, you know, with the U section growing as it is, um, they will be out there soon. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we've got got the. Um, the first team, the development team, uh, from the senior side. We've also got an under-18s team, which will be carrying on this year. Mm -hmm. uh, we've drafted in an under-16 team, which will again be affiliated to the, the Shrivenham uh, FC youth. It's It will be part of senior, um, even though, you know, under-16s, you think, well, actually, that should be part of the youth setup, but... Um, once players turn 16, they can play for the senior set. Mm -hmm. So um, it just makes sense to um, have them as part of the senior setup. So yeah, the 16s, the 18s, development and first team will all be playing out here. Mm -hmm. So the development team, I mean, clearly that's um, in old money. That's the uh, the reserve team. Yeah. Um, are they? Um, are they? They're presumably made up with players that are um, sort of squad players in the um, in the in the first team, um, and perhaps players that are. Um, uh, coming through from the under 18s and perhaps the under 16s if they're of a significant talent is that That's fair exactly to say? It. Yeah, exactly it. Um, yeah, I mean within the club we play a kind of pyramid that um, every team helps every senior team helps each other out um, ultimately it's to um, fulfil the first team 
you know, that's that's the ambition that every player that comes into Shrevenham aspires to be um, playing for. Um, so if there's players out of the first team squad that are either coming back from injury or they just need time on the pitch because they haven't managed to get a start in the in the first team on the first team games, they can be dropped into the development. Um, and, and likewise, if the first team squad needs players on a Saturday because of an availability or whatever, the development squad steps up. Yeah. And then, you know, you get, like I say, a knock-on effect that the if the development squad is left short, then the uh, the under-18s are pulled in yeah. to step up. And the development squad, they um, they actually reside in the pyramid as well, don't they? But they're, uh, they are the are they Hellenic League Division 1, are they, they not? Are yeah. Division 1 West. Yes, yeah. Um, and so they they still play a competitive level of football against oh, against yeah. um against against teams that are competing for um, for promotion to the level that the first team are at. Um, yeah. Goes without saying that if um, if they ended up winning that division, they wouldn't necessarily be promoted because you can't have two teams in the same division no. or two at the same club in the same division, as I say. Mm. Um, and so um, it would be up to the league then to, uh, to to work out what exactly happened. Then presumably they'd offer the um, uh, promotion places to the uh, to the second and third place teams. Um, but yes, it's um, it's a it's a it's a really good setup. It looks like from the outside, mm. um, and uh, uh, with with everything pointing in the right direction. Um, again, just going back to when I first started coming to uh, to watch Shrewsbury matches um, yeah. that first season, mm. um, there was um, no entry into the FA Cup that year. So, but the FA Cup, um, I mean, obviously I the think... prize money this year was uh, was curtailed somewhat because of the um, the lack of funds. Um, that the FA had because of COVID, mm. um, but again, that can prove prove to be a real fillip for a club like this, can't it? With the prize money that you get just mm. for entering. Yeah, I mean, um, to be honest, we've earned quite a lot of money from the FA Vars. Mm -hmm. You know, the FA Cup is a different different kettle of fish. Really, it's it's just a higher standard, and from the point of view of who you play, it could be anyone. You know. Um, anywhere in the country um the fa vars is you can go a, a lot further a lot um further down the line because there's so many more clubs of our standing yeah that are entered into that but yeah we've gone we've gone um i think three or four rounds into the fa vars which obviously the prize money goes up every every mm -hmm. round you stay in um yeah, and that's that's a welcome bonus because you know at the end of the day, Saturday football is is great, but when you start playing other clubs that are outside of your league, it just kind of takes it up a level. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, because they're progressing through through um, cup competitions um, is uh, is huge. I mean, the, the yeah. money money really really matters for clubs at this level. Yeah. Um, but if you can, uh, yeah, if you can if you can avoid that. Uh, avoid having to uh, to fork out for certain things like um, like wages for a um, for a particularly good player when you've got a, an equally good standard player mm. um, coming through from your from the um, from the youth section. Mm. Um, it can be you know make a massive difference for a, for a club this size. Yeah. So just going on to the um, onto the youth section again, um, three or four years ago. Um, Again, when I first started, when I first moved here, mm. um, there wasn't too much of a youth section, was there at that point in time? 
Um, Three or four years ago, there wasn't one. Yeah. <laughs> four years ago, there wasn't one. Yeah. Literally, we'd... Um, so if I give you a bit of history, basically the um, Shrivenham Football Club itself did not have a youth section back in the year sort of 2000. No. Prior, prior, yeah, prior to two, year two, three, the year two thousand, there was not a youth section here. Um, in two thousand and I'm pretty sure two thousand and one, um, some of the senior players, um, committee members, they, um, for whatever reason, decided that they were going to set up a youth section, um, and. My boys were actually, or my eldest, he was one of the first ones to attend the first ever training session here for the for, for little ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was seven at the time. And uh, we very quickly grew, um, just starting off with um, two age groups, I think it was at the time, because obviously they, well, as soon as they said, Right, we're going to start providing some training sessions for, for for youngsters. It's it's amazing how many youngsters come out of the villages and surrounding places um, to want to be involved. So yeah, we I think I'm pretty sure it was two age groups we started with in 2001, and that's basically where I came in. Um, I was asked if I would um, become the youth. Or the child protection officer back then it was child protection officer not welfare um because obviously once you start up a youth section you need so many more positions to be filled mm-hmm. it's not just a football club with a chairman and a secretary and a treasurer and everybody else is just volunteers it's there's quite a lot more responsibility to run in youth sections so i was asked um if i would if i would consider coming along and and joining the committee as just purely as the child protection officer they said um yeah it doesn't really involve a lot you probably won't need to even attend any meetings <laughs> yeah that didn't happen that <laughs> sudden it was last word yeah it suddenly <laughs> became quite a lot more than that um yeah so that's literally when the youth section started and then um we started adding more teams, more players come along. We had, you know, obviously with the with with the players, we needed more managers, and generally at the village, you know, at this kind of level, again, a lot of it is voluntary. You get parents come along; they want to be involved, so they they quickly then get drafted in as managers, coaches, um, and and it grows and grows. Mm. And at one point, after that we got up to a stage where we had teams from under sevens right through to under 18s. The whole, you know, every single age group was filled, mm-hmm. um, which was great, but we grew so quickly that um, we almost outgrew ourselves because, you know, um, you've got to have pitches, you've got to have land to train on. Um, and uh, albeit that we have a lovely green out here in the, at the recreation ground um, in the center of Shrivenham, um, there's only a limited amount of pitches you can actually ask to be marked out around the cricket square. Mm-hmm. So we we then um, we had to consider the possibility of having somewhere else, which is where Watchfield came into it. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up uh, having a pavilion built there, um, 
with with foundation money, mm-hmm. with uh, with a view that the Shrine and Watchfield Royals would um, would use that ground as well, yeah, um, as an alternative. And so, yeah, we kind of expanded, not just out of Shrivenham, we expanded into into Watchfield itself as well. Yeah. Um, Watchfield is a um, for for people who aren't aware of the geography um, is a is is almost it's virtually a connecting village to Shrivenham, so they're right right next door to each other. Yeah. Um, but both independent um, conurbations in their own right, mm. with their own village councils. Yeah. Um, you know their own recreation grounds. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, hence uh, why the reason I think you remember you telling me um, the reason why the Watchfield um, element is in is in the, um, the the youth section's name is because. Um, they, they essentially they, they, they train there and they play there for uh, for part of the year, don't they? The yeah, youth, and youth to be t- and to be fair to say that actually a lot of the uh, youth team players they they are local to Shrivenham and Watchfield. Yeah. You know, we do have players come from other villages. We actually have players come from Swindon as well, but the the majority of our players are local to those two villages. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And Swindon, of course, is only seven or eight miles down the road. Um, so you know the standard of football and the, um, the the competitiveness of the football, even you know, that I've noticed. Because uh, my my youngest is, uh, as you know, Val, um, and this year's under sevens, um, and uh, there are it's got a it's got a healthy youth league, isn't it? And it, it's, sort of in, it's at the North Wilts League, North yes. Wiltshire League, that, that Shrivenham uh, competing. Yeah. Um, even though we're in Oxfordshire, but um. just on the border. <laughs> Yeah. We are, yeah. But it's a, it's a healthy league, isn't it? And it seems to be it seems to be um, from what I've noticed um, one that is respectful of um, of what youth football should all be about, um, yeah. the development of players at that level and definitely. and enjoyment. Yeah, I mean, like I say, it's um it's definitely now promoting more of the respect campaign. It's de- it's promoting more of development rather than you know, the competitive aspect that we all kind of like know football is, you know, you, I know there's no, uh, no one would actually turn around and say, well, um, this is just a friendly, because even if it is a friendly, it's not treated as a friendly because, you know, everyone wants to win. Apparently ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, the, the youth league set up, um, and it has changed over the years. So obviously when my two boys were playing, um the under se- they start at under sevens there is no no league for anyone under that so even though uh we have an under sixes that train they train for a year in preparation for what is the youngest age group you can play in a league which is under sevens and um yeah so when my two boys were were of the age of playing in in this the youngest age groups um there was uh, how they set it up was that the under sevens and under eights were development, so they played for the um, for the idea that they um, they would they would just practice and have time on on the on the pitch. It was more of experience more yeah. than anything, which you know you could say that's that's you know that's kind of universal to any sort of football if you're just going into more universal to anything in life if you're just going into it you can't be expected to be experienced and in skillful and and everything else you you sort of 
you learn that along the way so it's everything you do is a learning curve and yeah so when it when we were first setting up in the early 2000s um the north wilkes league was where we went to and the sevens and eights were just development leagues where you just learnt the craft of football, about yeah. having experience. You call it the development league. It's it's not a, there's no actual formal um, league that's released. It is just purely teams playing against each other from from a parents and a players' perspective. Um, it might be different for yourself and uh, and the league itself. They obviously track um, the um, the progress of each team. Oh yeah. And they they match yeah. that up, don't they? Yeah. Um, but there's yeah. no formal league um, and no sort of league trophy or anything at the end of it. It's just uh, like you say development. No, um, and yeah, so I mean, going back then, the sevens and eights, it was purely um, just for the experience of, of playing. Um, but then when they, they turned into under, uh, uh, when they moved up to under nines, it was competitive. So whereas even now you will have noticed that if you go onto your league, you will see the fixtures published. Mm-hmm. But you won't see anything else because none of the scores are recorded. Yeah. Um, and that is for the purpose of, well, why should they publish a score? Because at the moment we're not really um, looking at how well clubs are doing, and we don't want clubs to be comparing themselves with other clubs. What they they concentrate on is their own club and their own team, and how they progress, what they're doing, and. Um, yeah, so it's 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 all changed because now since we've reignited the royal section, um, the development goes right up to under tens, and you only start looking at the scoring aspect when they start under elevens. Mm-hmm. So every everything, nothing is competitive really until they hit under elevens yeah. when the scoring and everything becomes. Um, available online and they start scoring for points yeah so you know it, if if you start like at the bottom of the league because that's where you are in terms of the alphabet from sevens to tens that's where you will finish because there isn't any points you're playing for mm-hmm. there isn't the goal scoring aspect even though behind the scenes all that is actually being recorded and yeah the the league are very aware of how well your team is doing um because obviously for the next year, they will then look at creating a league that is fair according to the ability of that team. There's yep. no point in having a team that can score 23 goals against it, um, someone. And likewise, there's no point in having a team that is like going to be beaten by 23 yep. goals every week. Mm-hmm. You know, So they, w- they will very quickly, within that first year of uh, under sevens, look at the teams, look at how they performed and then create leagues going forward to the under eights. And then likewise moving up, you know, I mean, teams, teams will change. You know, you can have a, a, a team of uh, under sevens that are underperforming. Mm-hmm. And by the time they move up a year, they've, they've progressed and they've moved on, um, which is, you know, our job really as yeah. coaches to, uh, to try and get them to, um, develop and move on in terms of how well they do um so yeah it's there is quite a lot to it even Mm. though it uh it doesn't look like it on the surface (laughs) (laughs) yes the graceful swan uh, analogy i think is is fairly pertinent here yeah so um 
okay, so take, take us all the way back to the very start. Um, we, we had a brief chat before we started recording, um, and um, football's been part of your life um, pretty much from a very early age, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you grow up in a village, and um, obviously all those years ago, uh, there was no restrictions on kids going out and just playing in the street or playing in the village. You know, it was very much a free kind of community where, you know, the kids would meet up somewhere and just go out and play. I remember and, those days well. Yeah, and <laughs> um, football obviously becomes one of those things that you just do, you know, because it is such a, a community-related game. Um, that and a few other games, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, I just joined in with the kids in the village and, and, uh, and took an interest pretty much yeah from the age of like seven or eight yeah so for, yeah. from a from a, a playing um, perspective um back then um what opportunities were there for you to actually join a club and play was that um, there wasn't any there wasn't any there wasn't any no no i can I, I can remember going to my uh school teacher when i was at um it is farrington community college now but it wasn't back then I can remember going to him when I was like 10, 11 years old and asking if I could have a girls' football team. And he went, no, girls mm. don't play, play football. I said, well, if I got a girls' team and we played your boys' team and we won, couldn't we have a girls' football team? And he went, no, it's not happening. So, I mean, that was just, you know, back then there was a divide of what girls did in terms of sport and what, girl, uh, and what boys did. Mm -hmm. You know, boys played rugby, football, cricket, and girls did hockey, tennis, and... Netball. Netball, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, and that's what it was. Yeah. And there was very much a kind of um, a rigidity of, of what they provided. Yeah. There was no kind of, oh, well, yeah, let, well, ask around if you get enough. We'll, we'll see what we can do. There was none of that. No. Yeah. So it was definitely, it, it literally, for me, was just playground football and nothing. Yeah. You know? So no, there wasn't any opportunities when I was a kid. Yeah, I think that's um, while attitudes towards that have uh, have changed somewhat. Um, it is still um, a, a lot of the, um, the, the the girls and the ladies that I've that I've interviewed up until now um, are all generally, I think, in their their, their early to mid twenties, um, and they that, that attitude. Um, kind of prevails um there have been more than you know, there's been more than um uh, one story similar to yours where um girls football just wasn't uh, just wasn't a thing in school um now um the attitude has changed somewhat insofar as um well if you can get some you know, if, you know sort of corral a few people together and we'll see what we can do mm. nowadays um, and of course, you know, girls are actively encouraged to join um, to join football clubs because it is, but certainly in, in the um, in the in the youth leagues now, um, it's very much a boys and girls up until a certain age group now, isn't it? Um, and girls are actively encouraged. Am I right in saying that? Or again, that's changed. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we we uh, welcome girls within our youth teams. Um, absolutely from the outset under sixes um and we do have girls in pretty much all our age groups i think mm -hmm. that we've got and currently we do under sixes under sevens under eights 
under nines under tens and under twelves so we did have two girls that played under twelves although they didn't join in this year um, I do think that there is still a physical element that the girls have to get over when they start getting up into the into the higher age groups um, just purely because of, of the way football is played mm -hmm. um, so yeah a younger age group the girls fit in absolutely fine as they grow up and you know so as they get into like 11 12 13 year olds um, there's also that element that the boys become a lot more physical a lot more um, demanding of skill um, and so f from that point of view the girls confidence goes down yeah massively it goes down um, but yeah uh, it used to be that the girls could only play up to under in under 10s or under 11s and then they had to go and find a girls team to play with yeah now they can actually join in until they're under 18. Right, okay. I wasn't aware of that, so that's new. Um, new information for me. Um, and that's, you know, on the face of it, a welcome development. Um, because it allows girls the opportunity to um, to develop their skills alongside the boys. Um, and, and in time, um, you know, obviously improve the girls' and ladies' game. Mm. Um, I think know. it definitely makes them stronger. It does. If they are that determined to play football playing alongside the boys it makes them it makes them stronger and definitely more confident mm -hmm. albeit that they've got to get over that physical aspect of, yeah you know sometimes they're not quite as strong as the boys but yeah so going back to to yourself you know, clearly it was you know back in the day it was uh, playground football only and park mm. football um when did you start getting in sort of thinking about getting involved in the game itself as um as a, as a coach um, was well, that from a from sort of a sort of late teens onwards? Um, and did did you end up playing playing at all for a um for a ladies team or? No, no, I didn't. No. Um, you know, I mean, people get involved in football for many reasons, and people don't get involved for many reasons. And obviously, from the don't aspect, it's mainly because of work, you know, and what you do for a living. Obviously, outstrips. Um, any sort of hobbies you have um, so no I didn't I didn't end up playing for a team because obviously when when you get knocked back at school saying girls don't play football mm -hmm. it's obviously straight away you, you you kind of get a cold reality that actually you know that's not going to happen so you you choose it what you do for a career and and you just crack on and think well okay you know that's that's the way it is no, I only actually really got involved in football again from the point of view of having my two boys involved uh, at the youth level. Mm -hmm. um, so playing for me wasn't really anything that um, presented any sort of opportunity to do. Um, but, it, but having the two boys obviously kind of turned it on his head and... Um, and I become involved in football coaching because of them. Mm -hmm. Have you taken any coaching, any coaching badges at all? Yeah, I've done, um, well, so going back to when I was first recruited to Shrivenham as the Child Protection Officer, 
It's a bit of a weird, a bit of a weird story, really. Um, so yes, we've got time. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so I I became part of Shrewsbury Football Club as the child protection officer when the rules was first set up, and then very quickly I was approached by somebody at Shrewsbury School and said, and they said, you um. You're involved with the football club, aren't you? I said, yeah. They said, um, and obviously I was I was kind of doing a little bit of helping out coaching, not doing coaching, but helping out. And obviously from point from the point of view of me kicking around when I was a kid, I kind of I knew what football was all about and how it how it worked and everything. Um, so yeah, so the Shrewsbury School ended up asking me um, if I was interested in going and doing a bit of after school stuff stuff just providing an hour I said yeah okay yeah I'll do that so I ended up doing a an hour after school with some just the reception and year one children mm-hmm. um, and obviously when you when you're involved in this sort of environment you pick things up and if you're interested you'll do your research and kind of add a few things as well yeah uh, and I'm quite good at thinking on my feet so if you know if you ask me to do something like say I've got ten kids over there, they need entertaining. I could quite easily make up a game, yeah. quite easily. Um, so I literally thought, well, okay, I'll take it into there. So and I thought, well, this is a good opportunity because because by going into the school, I could then quite easily promote the football club, like the youth youth section. Mm-hmm. So this is a good opportunity for both looking at it from both sides. So I went in and I and I did an hour, um, and then um, they had uh, an organisation that also provided after school football. So I was kind of like an interim. I went in and I did some sessions after school, but they also had this organisation that that was operating in the area um, that provided after school football for children mm-hmm. in Shrivenham in Watchfield and and so and surrounding areas and um, they were called um, OXL Britannia and it was and it was founded by an ex Portsmouth player mm-hmm. can't think of his name now but it was um, and because I'd been going in there doing sessions uh, and then this profession, the, these, I think they basically approached the school and said, this is what we do. Would you like us to come and do some sessions? And they'd obviously said, well, I'm already there and I'm doing sessions. So, um, it, it was a bit weird, but, um, they, uh, they asked me if I'd like to join them. It's like, okay. So I ended up being employed by this organization, mm-hmm. ProExcel Britannia. And I quickly then started doing um other schools so i did shrivenham i did watchfield i did longcott furnham mm-hmm. and then um and i was i was doing these sessions alongside one of their coaches mm-hmm. um and then they asked if i would like to lead a um half-term camp so i started doing like half-term camps so providing a week's activities and i did one in farrington junior school um, and then started progressing further out. So I, I did um, I did one in Blueberry. I did one in um, just near near Oxford. Uh, all yeah, 
over. Yeah, so Blueberry is um, is quite away. I mean, that's um, that's virtually Didcot, which is yeah. um, forty five minutes drive away. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the way to Reading. Um, so yeah, yeah that's... there was a few over that way that I did. Um, so then, uh, again, so so that kind of like progression of like just doing one little hour after school at the local school progressed me into other schools. Um, and then I did um, I did a, a half-term week at Shrivenham, which was great because it was like um, at the time when the World Cup was on. So we kind of figured that this, this, um, this week would work around the World Cup, mm. and it was great. Which World Cup was that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Germany 2006? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so we did the, the half-term camp there. Now, again, sometimes, you know, when, when people say, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. But also, what you, what you know counts. Because if you're, not, if you're no good at something, people aren't going to recommend you. But sometimes when you do know people, it kind of opens doors for you. Yeah. So, I, um, so off the back of doing all these, these like half-term camps and after-school sessions that I was doing in these different places in the area for ProXL, um, I was approached by a teacher from a private school in Farringdon called Ferndale, mm -hmm. which no longer exists, but it was a small private school. And uh, she asked me if I wanted to go in there and do an after school in there. I was like, so I would be actually employed by the school mm -hmm. to go in as a football coach. Like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'll do that. So again, it was another door opened and I went into Farringdon and this private school, I think they had a maximum of 120 pupils throughout the whole school from reception right through to year seven, mm -hmm. six, year six, um, which was great. So I did an after school club with the reception year one twos for an hour after school, so, you know, three o'clock, um, just um, really doing basic stuff. Um, and off the back of that, I think I might have been there about six weeks or so, um, just a term. Uh, I then had a chat with the headmaster, and he um, he employed me as a PE teacher. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like so. I ended up being from a football coach doing after school for an hour, doing two PE sessions a week as well. Yeah, with the whole school. So then I was doing um, I was doing a little bit of football with the rest of the school. Um, I was also doing netball with the with with girls. I was doing just um, some athletics. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I even on occasions I joined in with a bit of cricket. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's all sport to me. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, it was, it was crazy, really. Yeah. It just, yeah. So it's, it's quite a uh, quite a journey. Um, and of course, you know, as, you, as you've mentioned before, you you, you joined um, Shrivenham as the um, the child welfare officer, child protection officer uh, in two thousand and one. I think it was you said. Yeah. Um, and I've been been here ever since yeah. uh, as a as a it sounds like it's an ever evolving role. Yeah. Um, but when so you, you mentioned earlier that the the youth section um, became uh, well, too big too quickly, I think really was uh, was how you described it, mm. um, or outgrew yourself, should I say? Yeah. Um, 
and there were a few years um, without the youth section. Um, and of course, Chairman Matt Hurst has uh, has, has reinstigated that from you know fairly fairly small beginnings once again. Yeah. And uh, of course, over the last um, month or so, we've had the end of end of season re um, award ceremonies. Mm. Um, and um, I think well, there's at least uh, I'm not sure how many how many uh, seven or eight age groups now um, that are able to to field a team. Um, so we've got six age six. groups, yeah. but we've got two teams within one of our age groups. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's really just been brought about in the last three years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So, so what happened was, like I said, we had a, a team at every age group, which is great because that's good for the community. It's good for the club. Um, but it also presents its issues in that obviously what we were trying to achieve was bringing the youth out of the from the area and feeding them into watch which would, would be our, our senior squad and obviously once they get to like 16 17 18 you're going to lose a few to college to work to uni and all that so you know even if you get two three or four p players out of um, the age groups that you have, that's job done, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but basically within that also, it you have like a community that will either pull together or pull apart. Yeah. Um, because that you've, you've got to consider that when you've got a youth set up, you've got to consider, so your players are your main, your main focus, all the youngsters. Secondly, you have the coaches and managers that you have to have in place to be able to facilitate those players playing in a team. You then have to be um, supported by the parents who bring along those players. Um, and thirdly, you have to have, obviously, you know, the resources to be able to do all of that. Mm -hmm. And that and that goes from the, the training of the coaches, you know, the qualifications they have to have, the um, the resources of um, pitches, equipment, and, and everything. Yeah, tangible resources. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which again, okay, that's that's fine because obviously we have a membership fee and all the, all the fees get ploughed into what we provide. So it all gets spent back on the kids, basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but then if you have a group um, that has different ideas of how to raise money and how to spend the money, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to keep it all in one big pot. But it's another thing when one team wants to do something just slightly different mm -hmm. to somebody else or um, their idea of maybe raising just a little bit extra to do something different like say they want to do um like um a team building thing or a team um just a team event at the end of the season just mm -hmm. to celebrate what they've done it all kind of starts to get just a tad fragmented mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that's um a good or a bad thing because obviously you know not everyone can be as uniform and do the same thing because when you're under seven you're different to under 12s so if the under sevens want to say how just have um 
a little game of football out on the wreck and with a little barbecue or something and the under 12s want to go paintballing at the end of season you know it's 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 those little differences that yeah. kind of they are that they, they all are of a different age group and different things can be provided for them to still be have a social part of the team mm -hmm. as well as just turn up to training turn up to matches yeah. turn up to training turn up to matches yeah. you know there's there's also a, a little bit of a, a football family if you like mm -hmm. behind the scenes but um but yeah so from the point of view of of the success that was great and it was and it was really good to see um especially on a Friday night when you you turn up in the wreck and it's just players everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got your own little sections where you train and and everything. Yeah, because there's, uh, well, there's, there's three different size pitches as well, isn't there? Um, just yeah. painted, painted out there. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, on the equipment side, you've, still, you've then got to provide the different size goals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, of course, you know, you supply the kit, of course. Yeah. Um, which, you know, uh, yeah. slightly different to when I was, when I was playing. Um, we used to wear the kit and then dump it in the kit bag at the end of the, of the game and it would go off, it would be washed and it would be magically clean again when we came back for the next week. Yeah. Uh, not quite so, so um, not quite the same um, with my boy because uh, obviously once they receive their kit, it's, um, it's that, that, that child or that, that parent's responsibility to, to ensure that they're, they're presentable, washed and clean and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's a degree of responsibility there as well, isn't there, that you place on, you yeah. place on the kids? Yeah, there is. And the parents. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But um, yeah. So anyway, so from the point of view of when we did have it good, that's fine. But you've got to keep it rolling. So like every year, each age group is going to move up a year mm -hmm. and move up a year and move up a year. You've got to have those so under sixes keep, in place. Keep the, it rolling at the bottom mm -hmm. end because if you don't, you end up doing what actually did happen. So ju just to fill you in on kind of how that was facilitated. Um, again, it's kind of like um, a role that I kind of just fell into, really. Well, no, I didn't. I actually, I actually volunteered. I didn't just fall into it. <laughs> um, because I was doing all these different things within the schools, um, it kind of fitted that... I would take on the under sevens group. We didn't have under sixes back then. Mm -hmm. I just um, decided that it would be a good fit for me to start the under sevens. And by being in schools and being able to say, I belong to a club. Would you like to come and play for a club? Mm -hmm. You know, this is school, school football. School football's great. And, you know, obviously you can do little tournaments for your school, but would you like to actually go on a pathway that takes you into a club situation? Yeah. And because I was then, because I was in the schools and I kind of got to speak to parents, it was an ideal opportunity for bringing children from the schools and fitting them into the club situation. So I started an, at some point the under sevens, um, and then I would find a parent who was football-minded that would like to take those children on and pass them up as we got to the end of the season. It would be like, right, so the, I've done my first year. This is the person that's going to take them over. 
they will move up and I will stay at under sevens and find another little batch of players mm -hmm. to bring them to the club. And that happened for about three years on the trot. And then one year, this is how Matt then got involved with youth football. His boy was old enough. Chairman Matt Hurst. Yes. Yeah, and his boy's Brad. Yeah. Who now plays for the senior team here. Yes. Yep. Um, his boy was all old enough to actually then start playing. And I kind of started him off, but very quickly he took over. Um, so that's fine. Job done, really. I don't really need to take this team any further because I've kind of got him on that pathway. And... Um, him being a player already, he kind of knows the ins and outs of what football's about. Mm -hmm. I just had to guide him on saying, look, they're under sevens. You have to really strip it back down to the basics of playing football. Don't start too te technical because they won't hack that. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to make it fun. You know, with anything, first impressions is, 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 you, is your leader. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, if you're going to make it too technical and too hard, people will quite quickly shy away from it. Yeah. If you make it fun, an environment, um, then people are going to want to come back and be part of it. So that's my ethos when I start off the little ones. Um, is that if it's fun to do, they they will return and they'll enjoy it. And you know the the learning and the skills and the ability and stuff, it it all kind of fits as they as they get older. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I left it there really. Um, I thought well I've done my job now. And then it came to an end where I, I stopped going into schools because I changed jobs. Um, and um, that was pretty much my last time that I started the under sevens because uh, I thought, well, do you know what? It's time somebody else kind of took that lead. Mm -hmm. um, and um, no one did. No one, en no one ended up taking it. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, so that, at that point, that under sevens that Matt created, um, that was the last point. And then they started, say, you know, it started moving up. And up until like four years ago, when you mentioned you moved to the village, we probably only had an under 16s team here mm. because all those younger teams had grown up through and no one had stepped in to say, oh, hang on a minute, we haven't got age groups down below that. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, so you know, it was it was in danger of like having no none no youth teams present that we could feed back into the seniors because that's the reason why we started it in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, four four years ago, uh, Matt and I sat at the club after a after a first team game, and I mentioned about the youth and I said, um, you know, next year my eldest son would like to start coaching his boy and i said i think it's about time we started the u section back up again so that we can facilitate it here um because that's you know our local and he said yeah that's a very good point um so what do you suggest and i said well maybe we do some open days you know some open mornings like we did back back in 2000 2001 uh, we open it up on a Saturday morning, put some flyers out, see if anyone's interested. And um, that's what we did. We create some flyers 
said we will be training um, on the recreation ground in Watchfield Saturday mornings, 9 o'clock till 10 o'clock. No, actually, it was two hours, 9 till 11. Um, everyone welcome. We didn't put an age group on it. It was literally, uh, let's see who we get. Yeah. And I think the first couple, it was quite slow. We didn't get many, but within that um, eight weeks we we planned for, uh, we qu quite quickly, the numbers grew to about over 40. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah. was really quick. Um, and out of that, we again revived the, um, the royal section. And again, we, we were able to get two teams from, uh, from that group. We put together an under, an under eights and an under tens. But they were made up of two age groups. Mm -hmm. So the under eights were made up of sevens and eights. And the under tens were made up of nines and tens yep. because we didn't quite have enough of each age group. Uh, but it's virtually uh, from a standing start again, though, isn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. It was a standing start, definitely. Yeah, there was no one around. Um, and from those Saturday mornings, those eight weeks, we, you know, we ended up with enough to put in those two teams. Again, we chose to go back into the North Wales League as we had before, because we found that it is a good league to play in, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, um, yeah, and now we're flying. So we, from from that, we're now operating with under sevens, under eights, under nines, under tens and under twelves. Yeah. And um, obviously, uh, two years ago, after having those first two teams put into the league, we decided that actually the way to go would be to create the under sixes who were trained for a year without the matches situation. Yeah. And then they would be ready to go into the un into the leagues at under sevens. Yeah. And that's what we've done for the last uh, three years. Yeah. yeah. And so my, um, my youngest was a beneficiary of that. And I have to say, um, from from my perspective, that's, that's absolutely the right way to go. Mm. Um, because, mm. you know, it's... You can tell um, the teams that that, um, that they've played this season that have also done that. Mm. Um, certainly, very early on in the season, um, the teams that hadn't done that were um, were, shall we say, significantly behind in development terms yeah. um, from the from the teams that had. Um, so um, you know, that's a that's a particularly good initiative that I personally like. Um, and I noticed um, uh, four or five weeks ago. Um, the next batch of um, under sixes are um, are on their way through. Um, they've uh, started doing that on the Saturday mornings again, haven't they? Yeah. So Matt and I um, have started. We've done three weeks now um, training at Orchfield um, from ten o'clock to eleven o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we've got a little group at the moment, which will probably grow again. Like we say, you know, you start off small and then word gets out and suddenly you find yourself with more players than you know what you can do with. Herding <laughs> <laughs> cats at that age. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's all good fun. Um, so yeah, three weeks. So again, we've put an eight week program together um, and um, hopefully we will have somebody that will take those on because obviously it's fine for me and Matt to start them off, but we want like a parent now to 
come forward and say, actually, yeah, I'll take them on yeah. and train them for next year, ready for the league the following year. Yeah. And so my, uh, again, alluding to my boy, um, the um, the people who uh, who took that age group on, obviously Emma and Nick, Emma mm. and Nick Stringer, yep. husband and wife team, whose son also plays in the um, in, in that in that age group, George. Mm. Um, yeah, so they've, um, they've it's their first year. Obviously, um, they'd never done any coaching before, and I think that's pretty much the uh, the same for the vast majority of parents who take children on, take um, take that on at, at that age, isn't it? Pretty much is, yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's nice that you have somebody that's very enthusiastic and willing to learn. Yeah. Um, obviously, like I said, all the the um, the coaching in terms of qualifications is done um, behind the scenes. The last two years has been quite difficult because obviously coaches have to have um, safeguarding, first aid, um, a little bit of kind of um, uh, personal development coaching in terms of how you coach children of that age. Because um, it's not it's not obviously something you just know. No. You know, and there's. Um, there's good practice and there's bad practice. There's, you know, some people have got bad habits when it comes to football. Even football players, if they think they know the game, you know, they can pick up bad habits. And then if they're going into a coaching role, it's like, well, how do you actually stop passing on those bad habits to to the kids? Yeah. You know, it's um. Th so there's a lot of stuff on the boot room now for training opportunities, which gives every every coach even if they know nothing about football a good insight into how to start them off mm. um, and that's where I um, kind of direct all my all the coaches that come in to go to and you know complete some of the online courses on there um, there's a good one that's literally just been introduced called the playmaker mm -hmm. and that does give you a lot of basics on a lot of different aspects of the game Especially at the low, the low, you know, the younger level, mm -hmm. um, as well as obviously the important bit, which is the um, the first aid, and again, that's all online. And there's short courses now on on the brute room uh, to do with resusc uh, resuscitation, you know, um, because obviously again, that's been highlighted in the in the in the professional game of um, the aspect of the possibility of heart attacks. Mm -hmm. Or cardiac arrest, um, concussion is a big one. Yeah. How do you recognise concussion and what to do about it if a player gets a head injury? Um, that's all online as well. So yeah, so from somebody that has never been involved in coaching a sport, even if they'd played it before, um, it's just looking at it from a different angle. Yeah. And all those aids are on there to kind of help those people that are actually new to it. Yeah. Um, is there any? Um any training on uh, managing the pushy parent <laughs> oh yeah he, he waves <laughs> no i'm not pushy i don't like, like to think i'm not pushy at all i just have ideas yeah uh, i'm quite friendly with emma and nick as well they're up uh, they're drinking partners mm. um and uh yeah but um yeah i i i I'm, i can get quite competitive on the touchline um and i have to really really think and try and restrain myself to not coach from the touchline as well which is obviously one of the parenting no-nos. Uh, you've got to allow the coaches to do their job and not not do do it yourself and try and, mm. and, and potentially confuse the kids. No, exactly. Um, 
Yeah, is there uh, is there a, uh, presumably there's uh, there's uh, certainly a, a adv advice and guidance, I suppose, um, on how to Do deal you know with it's, that. It's a hard one because obviously you know the coach stroke manager they're volunteering their services to do this role um the parents all we ask them to do is support their children yep. positively um because we only do positive in the term in the words of gareth southgate um and as you've just said you know the more people that are shouting pass the ball run this way shoot you know the kids just get frustrated and confused about what they should do mm -hmm. and really you should be letting them own to a certain extent you make them you let them make up their own mind what they're going to do yeah you know the coaches are there to give them advice on maybe positional play and but again like i say you know you've got to strip it right back down to the basics when you're when you look at under under sevens mm -hmm. because they are still bees around a honeypot you know, they all want the ball. Mm -hmm. They all want to score. Um, positional play is not even something to consider when <laughs> when you're playing under sevens. Yeah. And um, I think expectations of parents are probably the worst um, scenario that managers have to manage because every parent wants their child to be the star of the team and the one that gets the applause for scoring a goal. Yeah. Um, and, you know we're trying to breed out that ethos of um, that one special kid that makes everything kind of work. Yeah. Uh, everyone works hard for their team, no matter what position they're playing. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is hard. It is, you know, it's the old school kind of mentality that it's all about scoring goals. Yeah. And, um forget the rest mm -hmm. but yeah it's there there isn't any there isn't unfortunately any any role coaching roles that teach you how to manage parents unfortunately yeah but there's code of conduct for that yeah you know that's what we what we say is like there's a code of conduct for the players there's one for the coaches there's also one for the parents and what we expect yeah um we did put in place a couple of years ago um, a rule, and I don't know whether it's been cascaded through all the age groups, but it should have been, is that if any parent has an issue with the coaches on the way they are um, choosing the teams, on um, the way they are setting up their players on the pitch, on their expectations of um, or how they, you know... Um, roll on and off the players and give them time uh in the in the playing um then um parents should give we've got like a 24-hour rule yes that parents give themselves time to think about what they're going to say because you and know present it in a in a constructive manner rather than yeah yeah yeah. I, I, I can confirm that that is um, a rule that has been cascaded down to the under sevens. Good, <laughs> good, because you know there's there's nothing like saying what you think there and then in the heat of the moment, mm -hmm. and then when you think about it, you think mm, maybe it was a bit harsh, you know. Yeah. So yeah, the twenty four hour, hour rule is there, and I wish a lot more parents would take heed for that because, you know, sometimes when you have these teams, um, coming from other places. Um, 
and you hear them shouting on the touchline and get you know the parents are shouting at the other parents and um or their pet they're shouting at the referee or they're yeah you know they're shouting at the kids on the pitch it's it, it i makes... can i can distinctly recall um i can give you a little anecdote here distinctly recall one of the days when i was refereeing um there were, there were times when I played for a team called Hobnob, um, only in the Reading and District Sunday League. Um, but uh, they were a men's team, so I was late 20s, early 30s. Um, and um, on the, uh, the occasions when um, the referee didn't turn up or, or whatever, um, I would sometimes put my hand up to, um, to volunteer for that. A little bit of extra money, it was like 25, 30 quid. Mm. Um, and um, a little bit more, of it, more experience getting, you know, given that I was getting to the age where I was thinking about giving up playing but still wanted to be involved um i didn't do that very often um i, I ended up uh refereeing for another club um, but mainly youth section football um but there were i mean there's one particular um uh match that uh, if any if any of my former teammates are listening to this will um will will recognize it was a match against a team called eldon celtic in reading um and um they were Newly entered the um, the Reading District Sunday League um, from uh, from from Eldon because Eldon Celtic are a very well established club in the Reading area, mm. um, and this was a, a team that had um, just come out of the youth leagues and were in their first season of uh, um, of, of men's football, um, and I refereed them and it was an uh, all right I didn't have the best game, hey, referees don't always have the best games, holding my hands up as I say that mm. um, I didn't really. Um, uh, present myself particularly well at half time but by that point I just got so fed up with what was going on on the pitch um, and on the sidelines um, that I lost my rag um, so not, a, not a, a great reflection on myself of course but um, certainly not a great reflection on Eldon Celtic as a football club in that particular instance mm. um, and uh, yeah they uh, they uh, I've since found out that they've been renowned for um, for that kind of behavior um, in and around the uh, around the Reading uh, the Redden area, and if you can hear that, then that's a um, uh, an RAF um, Voyager aircraft uh, on its final approach into RAF Rise Norton, which is only about 10 miles, 10 15 miles down the road, isn't it? <laughs> um, that's literally flying right overhead. So, um, yeah, so um, yeah, it, again, it's the behavioral aspect was uh, was was endemic um, even back then, uh, up until then, and uh, hopefully things have changed a bit. Certainly, when I when I started refereeing for Burfield, um, who I actually came to see here in the, um, uh, the Barks and Bucks Cup um, a few years ago. They had a tie here, mm. uh, their reserves, uh, their, their Trivenham reserves. Um, I refereed for that, some of their youth, youth sections and it was a, a whole different kettle of fish. Um, much, uh, much more respectful, much mm. more. There were a couple of games which were interesting, to say the least. Um, not every game goes smoothly. Um, and certainly, not all the parents are uh, behave particularly uh, particularly well. Um, but by and large, of the hundred or so games I think that I refereed, I refereed for Burfield, uh, most of them went off without a hitch because everybody respected that everybody was just trying to do their best for for what was um, what was right for the game. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's what gets frustrating with the youth at all. You know, I mean, everyone of everyone that comes out and referees these youth games. Um, to a point are volunteers you know and like you say everyone has bad games everyone makes maybe a few dodgy decisions but you know it is doing the best for to to enable the game to go on mm -hmm. um, yeah so it's a shame really but you know 
that's what happens. People people seize their own opinion um, and decide that they're going to share it, and then that sparks off a little conversation between some uh, you know, a parent and another parent. Yeah. Do you think? Um, I mean, clearly, uh, the FA's respect campaign has been ongoing for a number of years now, and has worked. I think it, it, certainly in my experience um, in youth football. Yeah. Um, do you think that football at the very top level has a still has a, a massive part to play in uh, in behavioural expectations lower down? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the professional game has a has an impact on you know youth foot youth, grassroots football all in in every aspect. You know, when you see a player um, get a little knock and they fall to the ground and suddenly they're holding their head. Um, and rolling around, you think, well, I wonder where that came from. Yeah. Um, yeah, everything has a knock-on effect from the professional game. Um, so, yeah, from from the way the spectators conduct themselves. And the thing is, you know, it's, it's, it, it's easily accessible for everyone to see, isn't it, when it's pro provided on TV and mm -hmm. social media and, and all that. So, um, yeah, I, it has got better. I mean, the respect um, campaign has worked, like you say, to a certain extent. It's certainly not as bad as um, some of the experiences that I've had yeah. when my two boys were, were playing. Um, there were definitely some coaches that shouldn't have been involved because of the way they conducted themselves in terms of how, what they expected from their players yeah. and what they expected from um, uh, from the opposition in in some respects because yeah. you know it's um i think i can think of a few as well when i played um yeah. uh, when i played it certainly well at all levels because uh, i started playing when i was eight eight or nine years old something like that anyway um and uh yeah <laughs> a few interesting games mm. a few interesting coaches that were on mm. the opposition yeah. uh, and you know even going back to you know, the, the the anecdote that i just came up with um i can think of at least one particular coach um, for the opposition um, team, I say the opposition team, I was the referee, so both teams were the opposition as far as I was concerned. Mm. Um, but I was, you know, Burfield's home referee, and uh, yeah, that one of their opposition coaches was uh, questionable, um, to say the least. He was, uh, he didn't seem to um, uh, change his behaviour from his um, supported football club season ticket behaviour, as it were, on the mm. touchlines there. Uh, to um, on the touchline with under 12s and under 13s, um, mm. which is when I refereed that particular club, I think, uh, that particular age group. Mm. So, no, I, I completely agree with, with you there. Mm. Um, clearly, um, you know, this, this episode is, uh, is part of um, my sort of Terrace Memoirs, Her Game 2 um, campaign, the anti-sexism um, campaign, which has recently been launched in, in football. Yeah. And of course, we've we've spoken um, uh, briefly a couple of weeks ago um, about you know, some of your experiences. And when it comes to um, to sexist behaviour, um, on the whole, you know, despite how long you've been in the game, mm. and you know, we've obviously already covered the you um, call them what they are. They are sexist attitudes from when you were in school. Mm. Um, but since we've actually been involved with the club, mm. um, if I remember rightly, you um, you hadn't had too many in the way of, um, or too many um, happenings, shall we say, in the way of uh, sexist behaviour towards you. Generally had a reasonably good experience. Yeah, no, I mean, ever since I've been invited to the, to the football club, 
Um, like I say, my role has kind of evolved from just being a child protection, I say just, um, from being the child protection officer to more of an active role in terms of being a coach, um, taking more of a, uh, an active part in the admin. I mean, obviously, again, I started off with the with, with being involved with the youth and now I'm actively involved with the seniors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we're just a village grassroots club, um, I think in, in all aspects, the, the women, girls involved in this club are welcomed every bit as much as any of the men mm-hmm. or the boys that their part at the club whether that's on a committee level on a um, volunteer level on a coaching level or any or any other sort of part they play mm-hmm. you know, it's um it's I just find it a one big family to be to be honest mm-hmm. you know we, we want to promote the fact that it's it's um, it's somewhere that you feel comfortable in being or whether you're just um, a, a woman on your own or whether you're um you know connected by your family or connected by just friends that are here um but yeah no on every level that i've been involved i've been pretty much welcomed and respected in what i do and what i know and my experience and ongoing yeah does that experience. extend to to outside of the club and uh, sort of fa uh, local fa level and and other clubs presumably yeah 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 i think it does you know i mean i'm sure there's there's clubs out there again that think oh she's a girl what she know but you know you've only just got to start talking football and they think oh oh, okay yeah she's got something to say i might as well listen yeah (laughs) you know yeah and ultimately at the end of the day and as as, you know all everybody that gets in that i've interviewed so far who has had the um the bad experiences um they just want to be um respected for their for being able to give their opinions you don't have to agree with their opinions no um but uh you know don't in actual bring... fact sometimes when you start going into a bit of detail they kind of take a step back and think oh right, okay she knows more than just the old offside rule then mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah but no that they, they say that there are a number of um of women on the uh on the volunteer side and on the um and on the club's board as well um at this club isn't there mm. um ranging from um from from matt's wife of course um and there's you know bar staff um, yeah. And on the back of that, um, and, and on the back of a number of things, actually, um, uh, there's now going to be a women's women's team with Shriven and Football Club as well, isn't there? Well, we won't say women's, will we? Because it's not women's, it's girls. Girls team. Okay. And in actual fact, I have got some breaking news on that front. Hey. Yeah. I'm all for an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, obviously it's been a success story for the last three years, reinventing the youth section at Shrivenham. Um, but we do have now a girls' team. Fanfare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I did have a girls' team back back when my son was uh, an under nine, mm-hmm. but they weren't exclusively a, exclusively a girls' team. They were a core of girls that played, albeit that they were supported by a couple of boys. Yeah. And they played in the North World League. North Wales League, um, which was a bit of a mistake, really, because bless them, they did, they did, they did uh, 
take some veterans, but yeah. they they went out every week and they still played. Mm -hmm. Like I say, it wasn't an exclusive girls team, so I can't say it was purely girls, but I did have enough girls that it took it, it was a majority. But anyway, so really, um, it isn't exclusive to say that we do have a girls team. And I've been working with my son, Elliot, who is the first team coach here at Shrivenham. Mm -hmm. And he has just launched his own um, company called Everyday Football. Mm -hmm. And apart from doing um, some individual sessions with um, footballers that want to improve their technique or their skills, um, and this is like teenagers, men, you know, uh, we started some group sessions for girls only and we quickly got um I think it was 12 12 girls coming along regularly uh we produced a 10-week program for them um just to get them involved um now a, a couple of these players that came along to the girls only sessions they've already been playing for us here at yeah. At, uh, with the boys in the, in the North Wilts. So they were kind of already in the environment, but for most of the ones, the others that were coming along, they are very new to it. But they, they've progressed really quickly in mm -hmm. 10 weeks. Um, and, and, they've, and, they've, and they've really enjoyed the sessions that they've done. Um, so we kind of looked at the age groups, at the age range of the girls that we've got coming along and um, we established that with three players that were playing within our under nines team last year, um, we would have enough to enter an under tens team for mm -hmm. next year. And that is uh, under tens is nine aside, or is it seven aside? Seven aside. Seven aside. Yeah. Yeah. Seven aside. Um, so we've again we had to do a little bit of homework to say, look, well, we've got to decide where we're going to put them. It's all right having a girls team or enough girls to play in a league. We've got to decide which side of the border we're going to go. Do we go Wiltshire FA or do we go Oxfordshire? So we've gone Oxfordshire. Yeah. And um, myself and Elliot attended the um, Oxfordshire Girls League AGM on Monday night mm -hmm. and we were voted in. Well, hey. Yes. Proper thumbs up, that is. So, yeah, yeah, really yeah. good. That's really good news to hear. Mm. Um, I'm uh, and, and no doubt that uh, I'd say I'm certainly excited to see how well they do, um, and, uh, and no doubt obviously all the girls and everybody within the club are uh, are excited. The girls are definitely excited. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are. So. Yes. So. Mm. Well, that's. Um, and the good thing is they play on Saturday mornings, which doesn't interfere with our Sundays, which, <laughs> <laughs> because obviously we're still involved with the under ten mixed uh, teams here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's really good. That's really really exciting news to hear, actually. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully uh, that'll uh, that'll create um, um, even more interest in the um, in the um, the fairer sex population of um, of, uh, of of Shrivenham and the wider area uh, mm. to actually get involved and and know that this football club um, will uh, will welcome with open arms uh, uh, female players. Yeah. I think that's um that's a really really positive note to actually uh, to end it on um i think uh val thank you very very much for your time we've been going on for 90 minutes now so <laughs> um yeah. i thoroughly appreciate it and that's been been really really engaging and thoroughly good insight into the inner workings of a non-league football club at, the, at both senior 
um, and youth level. Um, and um, no doubt, when I say we'll uh, we'll certainly see each other in due course. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, at the moment, we're uh, we're off. Yeah, start of next season. We're off for a month now, aren't we? Yes. Uh, yeah, a little bit of a break. Like I say, um, yeah, the the practical side, the coaching and matches take a back seat for a couple of uh, for a few weeks but yeah uh, the ongoing admin behind the scenes is still going on oh yeah and i'm sure i'm absolutely convinced there's plenty of that um, yes, with uh, with at least what seven eight nine or ten different individual teams uh, in different leagues yeah um, well again obviously with the new teams that uh, that um that we bring in we've still got to we've still got to affiliate to the to the county fa which i'm working my way through at the moment um, obviously, the new coaches have to have their all their qualifications uh, in place, ready for the start of the new season. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's loads to do. Yes, loads brilliant. Do. As I say, thank you very much again, um, Val. Um, quick bit of um, uh, admin on my part. Um, so, um, catch me on Twitter, um, Terrace Memoirs at, uh, at Terrace Memoirs. Um, there is a Facebook group of the same name. Um, by all means, join. Um, at the moment, I'm still having issues getting into my personal Facebook account, so I can't actually uh, um, uh, uh, approve people to join that group. But I'm working on it. But Facebook isn't easy when you have a when you have somebody hack your account. Um, it's yeah. totally counterintuitive. But hey ho. Um, if you've got any um, queries, suggestions, um, you want to come on the show, um, you want to get in touch with uh, with myself, uh, email address is terracememoirs at gmail .com. Um, but all this leaves me now to do is, uh, is thank Val for about, I think this is the fourth time now, for her time. Um, and uh, yeah, this is Terrace Memoirs over and out.